you say, well, why are we talking about prayer? I pray, pastor. I, you know, I have a quiet time with the Lord. I this, I that, because sometimes we need to relearn. And how many of you know, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. It does not make perfect unless you're practicing perfectly. Okay. So we want to help you do that today. Go with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. And we'll begin in chapter 11, verse 11. I'm going to give you some context here so that you know what we're dealing with today. And the subject matter obviously is on prayer. But I want to help you understand what's going on in the passage uh, before we begin that section. The context is this, that Jesus has just ridden into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. We call that, around the Easter season, his triumphal entry. So he has just come into the city. Verse 11 says this, And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. To give you a little idea of how far Bethany was outside of Jerusalem... It's as far as we are right now to MC. So it's just a two mile little journey, but it was outside of the main hubbub of the city. And that's where they had been staying. He went into the city. This awesome moment has happened where he's come into the city. He's gone into the temple. He looks around at what's there and then they retreat because it's already late in the evening and go back out to Bethany with his disciples. Verse 12 says this. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Don't start thinking about food. (laughs) Number 13, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Stop there and just listen to me for a moment. This is not that Jesus is looking at a fig tree that should have had figs on it in the harvest season. It's a different type of fig, and I'll tell you about it in a minute. But the word that should be inserted there is, for it was not the harvest season for figs. Doesn't mean they shouldn't have been on the tree. So Jesus is hungry, he's looking for food, he doesn't find food. And then something miraculous takes place. Verse 14, and he said to it, the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Verse 15 says, and they came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Stop. And listen to me for just a moment. We have got it wrong if you've heard a message about this before and somebody has said, churches shouldn't have yard sales. Jesus drove the... That's not what's going on in this passage. What's going on in this passage is people are not bringing their sacrifice that cost them something from their own flock or their own herd, and they are going the cheap route, and they are just coming into the temple to purchase something to then give as an offering to God. And this is not okay with Jesus. In fact, it says that he gets so angry in that moment that he turned the tables over and the seats of those who sold the pigeons. Now, this must have been a chaotic scene. 
The city must have already been abuzz. People had laid their coats on the ground, on the dirty road for him to walk in on, ride in on a donkey the day before, or the night before. And now here this same man is inside the temple, literally just tossing tables and people out. Verse 17, and he was teaching them. All of a sudden it changes. And he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. That was a wise strategic move by Jesus to turn the tables over, teach a little bit, and then hightail it out of town so that he could be safe for the time being. It says, verse 20 though, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the same fig tree and it was withered away to its roots. We're not talking about sprayed some roundup and got some brown leaves where there were green leaves. We're talking about a gnarled mess that has been withered from its roots. Verse 21, and Peter, don't you love him? He remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, everybody say that word, forgive, say it again, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I want to share with you just a side note, an observation about purpose for just a moment. In its natural habitat, this fig tree, the scholars believe, is called a sycamore fig. You say, Pastor, I didn't know I was going to get a real actual lesson. Yes, you are. Okay, And a sycamore fig tree, they've been around for millennia. They're in the, the Middle East, and they bear large yellow or red fruit. Everybody say, year round. Year round. So most likely the fig tree that Jesus had cursed was one of these trees, a a sycamore fig. And why did he curse it? Was he literally just hangry? (laughs) He was just hungry and angry because there wasn't food. Have you ever like gone to the pantry and looked and you're like, there's nothing that I want here. Was it just that? And Jesus was like, Ooh, I'm going to show my magic powers to my boys. No, it wasn't that at all. Listen, the tree failed to fulfill its purpose because all fruit bearing trees have a purpose and that is to bear fruit. So this little side note, I know we're going to talk about prayer today, but I'm encouraged when I think about this because there's an importance to each one of us as humans to find out what our purpose is and to live according to it. See, the tree failed to fulfill its purpose and failure to fulfill your purpose always results in disaster. 
Have you ever met somebody that is great at what they do? They're fantastic. Raise your hand. Like you've met somebody, they love their job, but not just love, they do it amazingly well. And you're like, oh my goodness, you were definitely cut out for this. That's because they've got something inside of them driving them in that direction. Now, we have to understand that there is a purpose for us. And you were made for more of a purpose than just getting a job so that you could, or getting an education so you could get a good job, so that then you could get married and then you could have kids. And as you raise those kids, they could get a good education so they could get a good job so that your life is more than that. Amen? So think about this. Because there is a general purpose for everyone, but there's also a specific purpose. And I believe that humanity's general purpose is found in Mark chapter 12. It says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because really, go back to that other slide. Your general purpose and your specific purpose together will cause you to experience a fulfilled life. This fruit tree that was supposed to be bearing fruit all year round, God wasn't looking to change its nature. He was just looking for it to live according to its nature. And yet here in this moment, Jesus doesn't find fruit on it. So I think for you and I, we need to understand what our specific why is. And if you haven't figured that out yet, you should. And we as a church want to help people to find out what their specific why, their purpose in this life is. Because we, we believe, and I truly do believe this, that the purpose of the church is to, there's three things, to glorify God, to lift him up. The second is to reach out to the lost. But the third is to equip the believers and to help them live the life that God's called them to live. So... If you're not sure what next step to take about finding your specific purpose, we have got something awesome two Sundays from now, September 29th, called Starting Point. It's an awesome opportunity for you to come to an hour class with some donuts and coffee and orange juice and listen in to hear about the history of our church, what we believe, how to get involved, and then we want to help you find your why. Because when you're not fulfilling your why... Bad things happen not only for you, but for those around you who could have experienced your why. It's so important because sometimes in seasons of our life, we take a break and we have these moments where we don't participate in certain things. But if your specific why, your specific purpose involves being part of the body of Christ, which I believe every believer should be. And ministering and serving, if you're not, then we've got to help you because something's not right. And if something's not right with the thumb, then something might not be right with the knee. And something might not be right with the entire body. So come to starting point. That's your next step. Okay, back to this idea, this narrative on prayer. Look at what verse 17 says. It says, and as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer 
for all nations. Yet you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus right there is not using hyperbole. He's not exaggerating. Essentially, the people who are selling the pigeons and the things that are there, the trinkets and whatever, they are overcharging. They're doing something they shouldn't be doing. And Jesus is fed up with all of it because he says, what you're doing here doesn't fit into the purpose of God's house. Now, this was a very bold statement. Because Jesus already had marks against him, but now in the hearing of those who were leaders in the temple, he said, is it not written that my house shall be, and they're going, wait, who do you think you are? Well, he was God's son on earth, so he had authority to speak this. But it it never says in scripture that the church should be a house of preaching. It never says in scripture it should be a house of worship for songs that we just like ourselves and sing about. It never says it should be a house for the homeless. You say, Pastor, are you preaching against all this? Just listen to me. It never says it's to be a house for concerts and events and all these other things that we have. Here's the idea. None of those are wrong, but if we are not a house of prayer, none of those are right. I can't. That was that was just good. <laughs> the idea is none of those ideas are wrong. We need preaching. You need to hear the word of God and live according to it. We need to lift our spirits by singing to one another and singing to God above. We need to have moments where we have events and picnics and outreach and all of this stuff. But the idea is this. If we miss out on the priority of prayer, we've missed the mark completely. I'll give you another advertisement. Next Sunday and every Sunday since we've started this last year at 945, we have a 30-minute prayer time here in the worship center. It is a moment for you to experience God and to prepare your heart to be in his presence. See, we've made it a priority to pray, and I think you ought to make it. I'm just going to go right on. Um, If the shoe fits, okay, So there is nothing wrong with these other things, but Jesus says that God's house should be a house of prayer. Listen to what verse 24 and 25 say. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And verse 26, 25 says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So today, what I really want to share with you are the necessary elements of prayer. I think if we're going to try to practice perfect and be able to make sure that we're permanently adding something to our life, then we ought to know exactly how to do it the right way. Amen. So verse 24 tells us that faith is a necessary element of prayer. If you don't truly believe that God will actually do what you're asking him to do, then why should he listen and why should he respond? 
You've got to believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, that he has done the things that we've heard of, and that he will meet your needs, that he will help you, that he will protect you, that he will heal you. The things that we pray for, we've got to have faith in our heart to believe. That's why we sing a human-centric song like we did a few minutes ago about, Lord, give me faith. I need more of it. I got a tiny bit, but Lord, give me more. He's the, he's even the supplier of our faith who can help us believe in him. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like someone was asking you for something and no matter what you did, you couldn't please that person? Let me see your hands. It was like either you screwed it up or either they were asking way too much, but it just was not. Listen to me, church. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. So my life can truly not please God. We get wrapped up in talking about sin and all these other things that cause us distance in our relationship with God. But I'm telling you, the starting point is us having faith to believe that he's the God who can forgive sin, that who can help us, who can heal us. So faith is a necessary element. Verse 25 gives us another necessary element of prayer, and that is forgiveness. This is probably going to be a hard pill for some of you to swallow. And it might take you to chew on it and think about it for the rest of this week. But I truly believe that the forgiveness of God is conditional. And it's only activated as we walk in forgiveness toward others. I didn't make this up. I didn't say this. Jesus says it. He says, when you come into God's presence and when you are in prayer, when you're standing there praying and you think, oh, wait a second, I've got something going on in my life between me and Sam, then I need to stop what I'm doing and I've got to go to him and I've got to ask him for forgiveness and help. So don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. The forgiveness of, well, wait a second, pastor. Are you preaching some kind of works-based No, I'm not, but I'm telling you this, God freely forgives, but it does come with strings attached. If you've ever met someone who is an unforgiving person, who is wrapped up in bitterness and coiled, ready to strike at any moment, if you've ever met those people, chances are, unless you have to live with them, you don't hang around them. The forgiveness of God will actually cause your face to look brighter and better. When we are forgiven by God, it brings a joy. But God, through Jesus in this moment, is saying that you can't receive his forgiveness if you don't know how to give it to others. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. What if I hold something against someone who's dead? You can still forgive them. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Because forgiveness is an act of my will. I choose to forgive or choose not to forgive. So even if they've passed away, but they hurt you, and how do I know that they hurt you? Or how do I know for me that they hurt me? I know because I think about it. And I'm not the only one. I gave you the example last week. If you think about it, 
and the person's still living and you're still in relationship, go to that person. I did it with an employee myself last week and said, I thought about this again. I need to just make sure that we're okay. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. And then fill in the blank. That's what we should be doing because it's a necessary element of prayer, both forgiveness from God for our sin, but also the moment of us going and forgiving those who have harmed us, hurt us, sinned against us. Listen to what Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 say, verse 23 and 24. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Well, they haven't said anything to me, but I definitely know they have an attitude towards me. Then you are needing to go and reconcile with your brother. Well, who's your brother? Let's go with the answer that Jesus had when he was asked, who is my neighbor? It's a human. It's anyone who's a human. Okay? So this idea that you just, you got to get this deep in your spirit. In other words, if you come in to God's presence, whether it's here at church or in your own home, in your own private time with God, and you remember that they have something against you, It's your job to initiate the reconciliation. Well, I'm just going to wait. They haven't apologized. I can't believe. If you know they have something against you and you sense that, then you need to go and make it right. You never know what might come of moments like that. So when Peter asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 how many times he should forgive his brother, again, human, anybody, Jesus' response is essentially this, as many times as he sins against you. Peter's like, well, I was thinking like seven's a good number. How's that sound? And Jesus responds and says, well, if he keeps on sinning against you, keep keep on and keep on and keep on. Because the whole point is, if you're keeping track and counting to 490, (laughs) forgive today, forgive tomorrow, and forgive often. Because you live around people. So faith and forgiveness are necessary elements of prayer. I'm going to give you four more quick ones that are sprinkled throughout scripture. The first of the next four, so this is number three, would be praise. Praise is a necessary element of prayer. When I come to the Lord in prayer, I should come with a heart filled with praise. So we had a series recently on worship, which I loved, and we talked a little bit about praise, and it's a little bit different. I want to tell you that I think the definition could be said like this. Praise is telling God and others how wonderful he is. That's what praise really is. So praise the Lord. When we say praise the Lord, that's not praise in itself. I praise the Lord because he's been good to me, because he saved me from disaster, because he healed my body, because he is who he says he is. I praise him and something happens to me internally when I do that. And don't, I'm telling you what, don't think you don't like being praised because you do. And if you're created in the image of God, can you imagine? God wants to receive our praise. 
You say, well, that seems awfully haughty of him. He's God. He can do that. So here's the, the, the point of what I'm trying to tell you about praise is that praise is telling others and God how wonderful he is. This past week, um, I posted it on Facebook, had a weird random moment where I shared a, a question with somebody who was a Sam's Club employee, not in a Sam's Club currently when we were talking, she was sitting at a health fair and I was there too. And I just mentioned in passing, Hey, I've got this problem. What do you think I should do? How should I solve it? And it was busy. And I, she was like, well, next time you're in, you should stop by and ask for me. Da, 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 da. Well, then two or three minutes later, here comes Miss Christine from Sam's and Pearl. If you need a membership, go see Miss Christine at Pearl Sam's. But she came to me and she said, Hey, by any chance, Dexter, call me by name. I had only met her a few minutes ago. She said, by any chance, do you know your Sam's number? And I said, yeah. I said, I actually have it on the app. She said, oh, okay. Tell me what that is. And she writes it down. She just leaves me. She doesn't say anything. She just walks away. And a few minutes later, she comes back with a membership card with my number printed on it with the magnetic stripe and everything. I didn't even know she had like the device with her. I sang the praises of Sam's because they got a great employee who chose to go the extra mile. So if I'm willing to talk about how good that Popeye's chicken, okay, no, how good Chick-fil-A is and ordained by God, how good a company is when they have good customer service. If I'm willing to talk about that with people, whether they're strangers or friends, shouldn't I share about what God has done in my life? You don't have to be weird and make people want to leave your presence, but you can definitely share and sneak something in there in the conversation about how good God's been to you and how he's helped you through whatever it is you faced. So praise him. Psalm 30, Psalm 18 verse three says this, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. The psalmist does not say, and I sharpened my swords and I did everything I needed to and I defeated my enemies myself. He literally said, I praised God and God won the battle for me. Just because if you tell him how wonderful he is, he might be listening to everything else you're saying too. Amen? Amen? Psalm 33 verse 1 says this, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise looks good on the upright. That's what that says. Praise befits the upright. It looks good on you when you praise the Lord. So you could say, I praise you, God, because you're the one true God. I praise you, God, because you hear my prayer. Start out a prayer with that. I praise you, God, that you sent your son for me. I'm showing you how to practice right. Amen? All right, let's go to another one. Repentance is another necessary element of prayer. Some of these are fun and some of these not so fun. Repentance is a necessary element of prayer. This is what repent means. We've said it a million different ways, but it means a dramatic change in direction. In other words, it's 180 degrees. I'm going this way, and now I've chosen to go this way. I'm not going backwards. I'm choosing. I'm no longer looking, longing, wanting, desiring. I'm headed this way, and that's what repentance really is. So it means to turn from something and embrace something else. It's not just asking for forgiveness from a sincere heart. 
How many of you have ever asked God to forgive you of a sin? Raise your hand. Hopefully that's a lot or all. Okay. How many of you have repeated that sin after you asked for forgiveness? Okay, that's all. The missing item or ingredient there is repentance. It's that change of direction that makes you go in the other direction. It's not something that you just have to say, God help me. And all of a sudden he just waves a magic wand and it's gone. It is a conscious choice that you have to choose to not do that thing and to start heading in God's direction. So here's an example. Lord, today I spoke words of gossip. Please help me when I'm tempted to gossip. I'm pledging to work harder with your grace and not gossip anymore. If that came from a sincere heart and I'm truly choosing to go in that direction, then let me tell you something. God hears the prayer of those who are repentant, who are turning towards him. So that's a great example. Lord, I've had a bad attitude today. Help me shake it off. Forgive me for not showing your love and kindness to those other drivers on the road or the other students or the other employees or the other whatever i'm choosing now with your help to have a good attitude towards my boss towards my spouse we can look at that and be like i know how to pray but if we're missing these necessary elements we're missing out on the benefit of having answered prayer so i'll say again in a different with a different word repent today Repent tomorrow and repent often because something in us has a desire to go back to the thing that we said we're not going to have in our life any longer. But God's presence is strong in your life when you're praying and staying in connection with him. So admit your wrongs to the Lord in prayer and pledge sincerely to not commit those wrongs or sins. Ask him for his help. This is paramount to effective prayer. It's so important that we get this. Why should the God of heaven help those who continue to sin against him? You say, wow, pastor, that's kind of tough. Well, I'm praying and you should too. I don't know what the recent update is, but Miss Katie Mosley, who's part of our church and her boys, uh, her father was taken to the hospital uh, yesterday and she went down to visit and to be with him today. They were meeting with a cardiologist. I'm not sure of all the details of it, but when I prayed my prayer yesterday for him, for Katie's dad, I took just a moment and I said, Lord, I'm praying that you hear me today. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope I don't have anything that's stopping my prayer from being heard in my own personal life because his life is on the line. So other people's lives are on the line. When you pray for a missionary, I've had a missionary on my heart for the last couple of days and I've prayed and prayed and prayed. I haven't yet reached out to them, but I'm going to tell them, hey, I've been praying for you for a couple of days now. Is everything okay? Because... God can work like that, but here's the deal. If I have stuff going on in my life, then God has the right to withhold the answer based on the fact that I am not the person who I should be in his presence. Luke 13, 3 says this. Jesus actually gives a clear warning. He says, unless you repent, you're going to die. Yep. (laughs) Take that with a spoonful of sugar. Here's the idea. If I'm walking towards the edge of death, hell, and all the rest, following my own path and pattern, 
then I am going to die unless I repent and start heading the other direction. So Jesus, it's not just here. He says it several times throughout scripture. When praying, you should listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and repentance should be your response. And if you haven't repented in a while, you're overdue. That was just for me and you. Okay. (laughs) But if you haven't repented in a while, seriously, then maybe... Maybe you're not having an open, honest conversation with God. And I think that we should. <laughs> if we want his, if we want our prayers to be heard by him. Amen. All right. Thanksgiving. And then we've got one more after this. When I get to the next one, the worship team is going to join me. Thanksgiving is a necessary element of prayer. Colossians chapter one, verse three says this. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Can that be said about you? When somebody thinks of you, all they do is thank God for you. Well, maybe. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Paul, in writing to this church, was telling them, every time I go to God in prayer, I thank him for you. And that's true of me. When I pray for you as believers, part of this family, I thank God. I thank God for what he's done, for what he's doing, what he's planning to do. So what are you thankful for? You should dig deeper. Lord, thank you for this day. Now, listen, I'm not criticizing you, but why are you thankful for this day? Just be thoughtful in your thanks. I'll use this example, and I'm jumping around in my notes. But in the early days of our marriage, and even still today, periodically, Amy will catch me by surprise. I will say to her, I love you so much. And she like looks over with these like investigative eyes, and she says, tell me why. Why do you really love me? Um, and it's not, it's not bait. Like it's not one of those things that she's going to be angry if I don't say something, but she's looking for that honest response that I say, well, I love the joy in your heart. I love the way you've raised our kids. I love your, you as a person, your personality. I love, that's what she, she wants because (laughs) she's like, keep going, keep going. Because the idea is that Thanksgiving being thankful helps relationships. So yes, I thank God for my wife and thank God for my kids, for my job, for my home, for my day. But I also thank God for the cup of coffee I drank this morning. And I have actually thanked God because I don't know who did invent coffee, but I thank God that someone figured out how to take that bean off a tree and put it in a cup because that's, I mean, that's, that's being thankful. Okay. I'm thankful for his grace in my life. Amen. I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful for your strength that you give me in the dark moments. I'm thankful for the protection that you've provided to me. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of me. I'm thankful for the opportunities I've been given. I'm thankful for something rises in your heart when you just start making sure you're thankful. You try to tell your kids that, but maybe... This is salty today. Um, Take some sugar with it. But here's the idea. If you're like, Johnny, be thankful. Then maybe you ought to be thankful in your prayer to the Lord for more than just your day. Thankfulness is this. It's verbal recognition of someone else's contribution to your life. 
that's what thankfulness really is. And more than that, we're in a sense, in, in one sense, we're declaring our indebtedness to that person for what they've done or how they've behaved or their character and who they are. To an employee, I can be thankful for their good attitude and their strong work ethic. Lord, I wish it was a contagious disease and everybody had it. To my spouse, I can be thankful for their love that's demonstrated toward me. To my boss, I can be thankful for their leadership. And I can say those words even, and some stuff never changes from the time you're little all the way till you're older. And you say something nice to someone and someone else hears it, brown noser. Ha! Can't believe. Listen, if you're a genuine person who is really truly thankful, then make sure you tell them you're thankful. It might change that mean person at your job if you just found that one tiny little thing you could be thankful for. When you're verbally thankful in prayer, there are psychological benefits to you. Because what you're doing is you're recognizing God's contribution to your life. More than just your day or having a family or possessions or whatever it is. Why exactly are you thankful? Start out with a specific thing when you go to the Lord in prayer and declaring your thanks to him. The last one is this, and it is requests. Prayer is a conversation. That's what prayer is. And as humans, we are needy. Notice I saved this one for last because it's the least important, really, because those requests need to be heard with a heart of thanksgiving, a heart that's pure and repentant for the things that it's done, a heart that's going to God in that attitude and saying, God, help me. I need you. That is what God responds to. I don't know if you've ever met a needy person. And I'm not talking about homeless. I'm talking about needy, like high maintenance, always needing something. But there's, there's a certain dynamic to their perseverance because eventually <laughs> they usually do get what they want because they just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. Jesus actually shares a story just like that about a woman who persevered to be able to get what she was looking for. And it said that because she kept on and kept on, she finally got. So if that was a human judge who was giving justice to her or someone doing something for her that she needed, how much more will your heavenly father, when you pray and ask, will he reply to your request? Philippians 4 verse 6 says this, Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Verse 7 tells us what happens as a result. It says this, and the peace of God, which you can't even understand, will literally provide protection and guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And God's peace is like no other. It is a stabilizing force in an unstable world. And the only way you can get it is in prayer. If we're reading those verses together in context, that's what it's saying. That the peace of God comes to those who are praying. 
when you're praying and giving God your request, you should make sure that your requests are founded in faith and based on scripture. Lord, help me win the lottery is not a good prayer to pray. The reason is because gambling is poor stewardship. Okay? So can God make that scratch-off ticket the biggest winner? Yes, he can. But here's the, the idea behind it is pray according to your need and according to what you need in your life, but pray in faith and pray according to Scripture. Has God provided? Come on, somebody. Has God provided? Has he provided abundantly beyond what you could imagine or think at times in your life? If he did it then, he can do it again. Amen? God, save my child. God, heal my father. God, protect me. God, help me to be a great husband, a great father, a great boss. Those are prayers that God wants to hear prayed. Because those are things in his word that he's proven himself. His track record is 100%. He does. So today, if you are going through something, And you say, Pastor, I have been praying for a long time about this one thing, whatever it is, for a person or for something for yourself. Today, I really believe that as you reach out in faith to God, that God will hear you if you've got these necessary elements. If you're praying with faith, if you have a repentant heart, if you've got forgiveness between you and the humans that are in contact with you as well as between you and God, and you make your request with thanksgiving, God is bound to hear you and he is not a bad guy. He's not too busy. He didn't say, ah, not right now. I can't talk right now. I got other things, important stuff around the world. Can't deal with that. Our God is the only one who lives and the only one who hears. Close your eyes with me. As your heart has been churning or thinking about that situation, whether it's at work or with a spouse or your own interpersonal stuff that you're just saying, God, I need your help with this. If you say today, I have a prayer in my heart, pastor, just raise your hand. I'm not going to make you pray it out loud for everybody to hear, but there are prayers in our hearts because there are hands raised right here. And in the next worship song, they're going to do one song and then we're going to dismiss. But I want to encourage you to just find a moment. You can put your hand down, but find a moment right now to not maybe sing the words of the song, but to pray and to say, God, I'm thankful for this, this, and this. God, I need you in this area of my life and make your requests be made known to him today. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never felt me yet Waiting for change to come But knowing the battle's won And that you've never felt me Your promise still stands, great is your 
your faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my comfort 